Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. Another gut-wrenching loss for the 49ers in a young season that seems to be filled with them. In fact, that would be three losses by a total of eight points in the last three games. But, you know, as disappointing as it is and as close as this team appears to be at times, it's hard for me to get too upset because they're doing it to themselves. In week four, 13 penalties, drop passes, subpar cornerback, cornerback play, and a quarterback who, I mean, at this stage, you have to ask yourself, what's the point? What's the point of a placeholder QB who may have already lost you two games with his play, who's not part of the future, who's not going to be there next year? What's the, what's the point of even having him play if this is the kind of production you're going to get? And these wounds are deep, but make no mistake, they're self-inflicted. This is a team that could be 3-1 and one right now if they could only stop shooting themselves in the foot. This is Al Sacco for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Zane, can you say it any other way? They just keep shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I think they're a lot of these, like you said, these wounds are self-inflicted and they were in three games that they probably should have, they probably should have won all of them, frankly. And they probably should be three and one right now, if not for a couple of mistakes here and there. But when you're not a good team, the margin for error is really thin. So you really have to dot all your I's and cross all your T's with, with everything. You have to be precise. You have to execute. You have to uh, take care of the clock and take care of your timeouts and not turn the ball over. And they haven't, they haven't done that. Uh, they're making progress on the defensive side. And it's, it's evident every week they seem to be getting better aside from that one blip on the radar on a short week against the Rams. But they're, they're hanging in there defensively and it's, their defense is keeping them in the game. And we talk about that and a whole lot more with our guests on the show today. It's Larry Kruger from KNBR. And let's hear Larry. You know him from the Gary and Larry show on KNBR every morning, and we're thrilled to have him back with us, Larry Kruger. Larry, it's great to have you back here again. You're actually part of an elite group. Uh, you're the second one to, to return a second time. You and Matt Barrows are on our wall of fame. Wow. So Matty <laughs> B is one of my favorites, so I, I'm, I'm honored. It's, 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 definitely, it's definitely something you want to put on the, put on the plaque, right? So it it's, goes up there with those accomplishments, doesn't it? <laughs> Actually, maybe I should call you back later. I probably should go down to Kinko's and update my resume. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Larry, there's a lot to unpack with the game uh, this past Sunday and, and, and a lot to talk about with the 49ers' current record and where the season's headed. Their, their frustration's kind of starting um, to show with the offense, specifically with Brian Hoyer, who is more often than not just kind of looked lost and inaccurate. When do you think Kyle Shanahan will finally lose patience with them and pull the plug? You know, it's so hard to say, but I, I would say it's coming very soon. It's, I, I, you know, um, this month for sure, you know, possibly after this next game, depending on how he plays. I mean, um, at times they've pass protected well. At times they've played good defense. At times they have, have run the ball effectively. But it seems like the the one consistent theme is that outside of you know the second half against the Rams where they put up 26 points and kind of played in you know from behind and kind of a catch up mode, their pass their passing attack has not been that great. Now they don't have a true number one receiver. They they don't really have a, a professional 
you know, tight end on the roster. I mean, they've got some young players who are kind of kind of finding their way. Uh, Kittle might be a decent receiver in a couple of years. Right now, he's he's you know he's a rookie and he looks like it. He's he's undersized. He he lacks the explosiveness. He lacks an NFL offseason. Um, so he at you know they're not getting big plays at the out of the tight end spot. Uh, Hyde is not has been really nice, but he's a little dinged up. They're doubling Pierre Garcon and daring the 49ers to, to beat them uh, with somebody else. Uh, Marquise Goodwin is now now beat up pretty good physically. And, um, you know, Aldrick Robinson just hasn't had the reps, and it really showed last week, so he dropped a lot of balls. So they, they just, they're not there yet. They're just not there yet. They spent their draft capital on the defensive side of the ball because I think Shanahan felt like he could scheme everything up. Um, but the bottom line is, I think you got to have a little bit more, um, and and I think Hoyer's been disappointing. I mean, I think he really has, and I would like to see them go with Beathard at this point. <clears throat> I know everybody is, you know, it seems like they're. I mean, I, I've heard Matt Mayoko say it a hundred times already that oh, there's no question that Hoyer is better than Beathard, and I think there's a very good chance he eats those words before the end of the year because I think. They're going to go to Beathard. They will go to Beathard at some point. And then I think the odds are that he's going to be better. I mean, look at it this way. If he throws a touchdown pass in two of every four games that he plays, he will be better. Mm-hmm. So the bar is really, really low. And I'm, I'm of a belief that Beathard, who's a very heady guy who grew up in the game, played in the preseason with a lot of poise. He didn't play spectacularly, but he played all right. And I, and I just think that at this point, I would go to him. Uh, why not? I mean, you gotta you got to find out what you have with him anyway. If you find out that he's a tremendous player, maybe you don't need to invest a top-five pick in a quarterback. If you find out that he's truly a backup or, or you know, just a fish out of water, then you know that you, you, you've got to be real intent and maybe hyper-aggressive at going after that quarterback, whether it be Cousins or in the draft. So they have to play him between now and the end of the year. The only question is to when, is when and since um, they're going young with the rest of the roster and they're clearly taking kind of the macro view of this rebuild, why waste more time with a stopgap quarterback? Why not find out what you got in, in a guy who you probably think is going to be here long term? And Larry, just to kind of circle back with something that you, you mentioned about the team, the, the receivers being inexperienced and the Titans dropping balls and Carlos Hyde not being healthy. How much of this do you really think is Brian Hoyer's fault? Well, I mean, none of those things are his fault, but we've seen a lot of mistakes at the quarterback spot. I mean, sometimes the ball's coming out early. Sometimes the ball's coming out a little bit late. Um, sometimes he's not seeing the field. I mean, there's there are times where he goes off of his first read remarkably fast. Um, you know, I just think that the, we've seen, we haven't, ultimately, it, it's a bottom line business. And the quarterback position, the first thing you evaluate is, do you win the game? Well, they haven't won any games. The next thing you evaluate is, are you scoring touchdowns? Well, they're not scoring touchdowns. Then you evaluate, well, what are you doing on third down? They're like 26% on third down. So then you evaluate, what are, they, what are you doing in the second half of games? What are you doing in the fourth quarter? And those numbers are not, are not pretty, especially when you looked at this last fourth quarter. So it's, it, it's not 100% his fault. And I'm not saying that C.J. Beathard's going to come in and dominate. I really don't believe that he would. But I think what happens 
in with an NFL starting quarterback who bounces around is you start to you start to you know to to wind up having some some lack of confidence and your your expectations you know are not what they should be over time and i just think that hoyer expects to lose where i think bethard has no expectations at all and um, I think it would be nice. It would be nice to see a change. I don't think it's a big risk, you know. This whole talk, oh, well, if you go to Bethard, you can't go back to Hoyer. Says who? Says who? It's not ideal, but this whole season is not going to be ideal. They haven't won a game yet, and there's a chance they maybe win two games or, or you know, maybe less. Who knows? I mean, heck, if they don't beat the Colts this week, I don't see a lot of winnable games out there for the Forty Niners. Um, it, it just seems like they they're. They, they're struggling right now to put these pieces together. They went with 15 rookies and five undrafted free agents, and it really shows. And Larry, you, you mentioned the receivers, and it, it does seem whenever Hoyer actually does make a good throw that they can't hang on to the ball. They have 12 drops, which leads the league. And when you look at the group, other than Garcon, it's basically career backups and, like you said, rookies. Do you think the 49ers believe they had more than they actually do here? I mean, did they make a big mistake at the receiver and tight end position? Well, I think that they they know that this is a process, and you know they 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 got who they could get. It wasn't a great free agent market for receivers. Um, they wanted to get a guy who could stretch the field. They got that in Goodwin. They wanted to get a guy who could move the chains. They got that in Pierre Garcon. But what they lack is that is that you know the guy who tilts the coverage, the guy who tilts the field. You know, and they don't have that receiver, so. Now it's like, okay, Pierre Garçon is a solid NFL receiver, but now he's got to beat Patrick Peterson. Well, Peterson's younger and better and more dominant and, and totally took him away. And then what did the Niners have? They had to go to Aldrich Robinson. There's very little rapport between Hoyer and Robinson. Robinson struggles with, with some drops. There were some bad throws in there as well. And, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just, you know, I actually had a buddy of mine who, who's been scouting in the league for 20 years who told me when they hired Kyle that he, Kyle was a great hire, but that his offense was complex and that his team in in the first half of the year would make a lot of mistakes and they would really struggle to kind of learn the nuances of his offense. And I, man, I think that's you know true words have not been spoken. I mean, I, I really think that's it. You know, they do a lot of shifting. Kyle likes to to you know to to have shifts at the line of scrimmage to get them into more advantageous situations as far as their run running plays. And it, and it's, it works, but when you have shifts and motions, you have chances for false starts and pre-snap penalties and they've had their share. So, I mean, the bottom line is they're not good enough to absorb nine and a half penalties a game. And I think that's where they're at. And they're also not good enough, obviously, to absorb those drops that they've had. They've had, as Al mentioned, they lead the league in drops. And one of the one of those guys who've been dropping some balls is George Kittle. And he seems to be having the same issues that Vance McDonald had. The 49ers brought in Cooper Helfett, who was of uh, formerly of the Seahawks, in for a workout um, today. So it seems like they're looking to upgrade the position in the middle of the season. And do you kind of see them going outside of the team or having guys like Garrett Salick and Logan Paulson kind of step up more in the passing game? Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be, they're going to probably have to look outside. Um, you know, Paulson's okay. He's a nice inline blocker. He had one that, you know, Hoyer had maybe one of the most beautiful throws he had was the ball that 
the TV cameras caught perfectly on that sideline route to, to Paulson. And Paulson had it in his hands, and he just dropped it. So, you know, if the ball hits you in the hands in the NFL and you're getting paid a paycheck to catch it, you're expected to hold on. So I can't put that on Brian Hoyer. That one's on Paulson. You know, I think Kittle's going to be a well above average NFL receiver in time. But when you're adapting to the speed and explosiveness of the NFL game, you're trying to learn a new offense, all the nuances, you're playing way more than you probably expected to play. It's just a lot. And so you're just seeing him kind of bogged down a little bit. But I don't think it really is any kind of downgrade on him. It's just they're force-feeding him. They're giving him a huge opportunity early. Most teams would bring that player along slower. But they don't have other options, so they're, 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 they're kind of throwing him out there and saying, hey, you know what? We believe in you, but it, it, it might be a little bit too much for him, and he seems a little overwhelmed. He's going to be a, a nice NFL player. I don't know if he's ever going to be an all-pro tight end because he doesn't have that kind of physical ability, but he's, he's going to be a dependable NFL tight end, but he needs an NFL offseason to lift, to get stronger, to get more sudden, to learn the playbook, to learn the nuances of pro coverage. And Even though coming out of Iowa, he was pretty skilled, it's just, you know, the, 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 the trying to adapt to the speed of the game and learn all the nuances on the fly, it's, it's a tall task. And then Selleck is a pretty ordinary player. So, so, yeah, I think they probably will wind up looking. I think they're going to wind up looking outside the roster for skill position guys at all, mm-hmm. all skill positions. I, you know, I really don't expect them to be able to get through this entire football season with Carlos Hyde and Matt Breida. A running back. I expect they're going to have to go for some some other running backs as well. And, um, you know, it's a week-to-week thing, so I think you're going to see a parade of guys coming in and out before the season's over. And Larry, looking at the specifics of, of the Week 4 loss to the Cardinals, one thing that really stuck out to me, it was a close, low-scoring game in Hoyer through 49 passes while Carlos Hyde only ran the ball 16 times. And I know Hyde was banged up, but were you surprised that Shanahan put the game in Hoyer's hands that much? I think you just answered your own question there. I think it, it, it's totally because Hyde was banged up. Uh, if if you have a healthy Hyde there, I think he sees the ball quite a bit more. But it was pretty obvious, you know, he he had a couple series, and then in, the, here comes Brita for a series. I think there was it was pretty obvious they're just trying to minimize his touches, knowing it's a long season, knowing how much he means to them, um, and knowing that they don't have another bell cow back. You know, they don't have another two hundred and twenty pound horse they can throw out there they got an undrafted free agent who's about 195 pounds out of georgia southern who's got some nice upside and some nice potential but he's not an every down ball carrier in the nfl and and shanahan and lynch these guys are keenly aware of this so i i think the whole game plan this week you know you saw less hide than you would expect to see because of of you know the hip contusion and you know a hip contusion is a bad injury but, but it's a it's a crushing injury for a running back. And um, I just think they wanted to kind of lessen his exposure a little bit. Now, switching to the defensive side of the ball, one bright spot this quarter of a season so far has been the play of DeForest Buckner. And he seems to really be elevating his game and becoming one of the top interior defensive linemen in, in, in the NFL. What have you kind of seen from him so far? Exactly that. I mean, he's ever, he, he's, He's a big man who plays low with leverage. He plays with power. He transitions speed to power like a, like a, like a, like a pass rusher does on coming off the edge, except he's 295. I mean, he is a, he's a freak. I mean, he, he literally 
I mean, I was asking the question just around the station, has there ever been a guy who won the defensive player of the year in the league on a team that won no games or won two games? You know, mm-hmm. the 49ers may have a really rough year. They may have really, they may have a really ugly record at the end of the year, but this guy is a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, you can't double team him. He splits double teams. He makes it look easy. His pursuit is almost linebacker like. Um, his redirect when you know after, you know he'll he'll hit the lineman and then when he redirects and flattens down the line, it is it is lightning fast. Um, he's obviously a very intelligent football player because he oftentimes will read the action if you watch him on screens and hitches and he's he reads it like two steps into the backfield. I mean, he's a, he's really a special football player. I mean, when, you know, I was worried when they drafted him so high because, you know, here we go, year two, another Oregon guy, big, tall, rangy guy. Uh, Oregon, you just never know about some of their players. Just it's, it's, a, it's a speed-based program. You always wonder about how tough are their guys in the trenches and that kind of thing. He's all world. He's just been unbelievable. And if there's been one bright spot to the 49ers i think in the first half of the year here or the first month of the year it's how much talent raw talent they have on that defensive side of the football uh mm-hmm. the other guy who is just absolutely i'm really fired up about right now is jacoski tart i mean tart is just exactly what you want i mean he he flies up in the run game he hits with aggression he can stack the tight he can stuff the tight end of the line of scrimmage he can cover like a like a safety he can hit like a linebacker he runs he's very good against the run he understands how to spill plays outside um you know he's just he really he shoots gaps he's very tough he's very explosive um i like you know if there's one bright spot it's been you look at this defense and you got jimmy ward and you got him and you got obviously reuben foster and then you got guys like buckner and armstead and solomon thomas up front i mean they really have some the makings of some blue chippers. They still need another one, a number one corner. They need a number one pass rusher. They probably need another inside linebacker or two just to, to, uh, to, you know, to help them contend with all these shallow crosses that seem to burn them. But man, they've got a handful of big time, fast, aggressive, exciting, young defensive players. And, and it's the strength of their team. And you mentioned the cornerbacks that that's definitely in need. Um, it, but there was a lot of emphasis put on Rashad Robinson this year that he would need to have a big season. And we knew we'd have some ups and downs, but it looks like right now teams are actually targeting him and he, he's not responding well. Are these just growing pains or is there more there? Well, I mean, he's just so raw. He's so raw. If he were on a different team, he wouldn't play hardly at all. Uh, on this team, he's their number one corner. He's got huge ability. He's long. He's rangy. He's cocky. He's confident. He's personality-wise exactly what you're looking for. But it's like he's never played the position. He has ball skills of a freshman in high school, and and he he really doesn't understand how to you know how and when to turn for the ball. So he's going to get a lot of face guarding penalties and pi calls uh, because unless you time that perfectly, most refs. If you don't turn for the ball and you break it up, unless you catch the ball perfectly, if there's any contact there with the with the offensive player, the receiver, they're going to call you for pi. They're going to call you, you know, 
a defensive hold. I mean, you're getting the call coming, you're, you know, going against you. So he just, he, you know, he's, he's an incredible athlete, which is how he wound up at LSU. Obviously, you know, LSU gets some of the greatest recruits in the country on an annual basis. And he clearly is a, you know, he's a five, five star type athlete, but he needs to be coached up. And Jeff Halfley has got a big job in front of him to coach him up. Um, the other, the other player is Dante Johnson. I thought Johnson was really impressive last week. You know, and it's it's funny we've talked about all oh, the weakness of these corners, but I I kind of like what I see so far. Even you know, Kwan Williams did nothing on that game winning touchdown to Fitzgerald. I mean, he literally did nothing. I mean, he just he, he didn't he, he didn't get in the passing lane. He didn't make the throw be tough. He didn't cover the receiver. He didn't jam anybody. He just did nothing, and he got kind of. It wound up looking like Robinson. It was all Robinson, but K1 kind of blew that blew that as well. I thought, um, but you know they're playing those three corners, you know, almost the entire time, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, but I've, I've actually been a little bit encouraged because I was expecting my expectation level was really low, but I've been kind of positively encouraged now. Robinson needs to get on that jugs gun. He needs to work uh, on his ball skills and he needs to just practice basic cornerback play. But he, what he has, you can't teach. And, you know, a year from now, he's going to be a lot better player. And mentioned Kwan Williams uh, on that last Fitzgerald touchdown. The 49ers recently awarded him with the three year extension. Uh, were you kind of surprised that the 49ers decided to make that move after only three games at the time? And uh, do you feel oh, that's kind no of question. a. I, yeah, you know, I, I was I was surprised because the film doesn't warrant it. But clearly, it's not. He he was given that contract not based on his film or even on his ability. I don't believe. I mean, though they they like what he's done. I think it's clearly, you know, I, if you do if you go and you know talk talk to the forty nine er people, they'll tell you. I mean, they're, they're trying to establish a program. They're trying to establish a standard for everything they do, how they work, how they practice, how they prepare. And I guarantee you they love this kid off the field. And he probably does everything they want him to do. He's there on time. He's working hard. He's great in the film sessions. He's asking questions. He's helping the young guys along. He's probably does a half dozen things that are they view as positives. But I don't see I didn't see a three a three year extension based on his film. And when I asked Greg Cosell about it, he said he basically said the same thing. He said he he didn't understand the extension based on what he saw in film. But this isn't about film. This is about culture. And I'm pretty convinced of that. And I think they like K1 for the things that he brings, you know, brings to their culture and to their locker room. I wanted to ask you your impression of Kyle Shanahan so far. We know he can coach, but it does seem like he's still kind of finding his way a little bit in terms of being the head man. What's been your overall impression of him through the first quarter of the season? Well, you know, I think he's, he's a guy who. He's an, he, you know, he's an offensive coordinator. He's an offensive coordinator. That's how he got the job. So he's learning to be a head coach, but he is an offensive coordinator. And offensive coordinators get, you know, get to be head coaches by being great offensive coordinators. And so I think you know, when you're a head coach, you then have other responsibilities on the day of the game, and yet you have to fulfill some of those, but you also have to be able to delegate because at the end of the day, what, what, do, you, what do you really need to be? You need to be a you need to continue to be a great offensive coordinator. I, I think, um, you know, some of his game management stuff and some of his early stuff where he went for a couple fourth downs was kind of questionable because he was, 
he was thinking as an offensive coordinator and not necessarily as a head coach. But overall, I think he's got the right perspective. I think he understands what kind of football team he has. Um, he doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy who's going to wear you out with a bunch of, you know, my way or the highway. He seems like he's willing to listen to the players, but he also has got a level of confidence um, and that, that really comes through when you just hear him discuss football and the level of detail that he will go to in discussing any any little point of minutia when it comes to um, a game or a sequence or a thought or a philosophy. I mean, he'll give you an expansive, lengthy answer that's that's rooted in a philosophy that's been developed. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very impressed by him. Uh, I realize the results haven't been there, and you know, it's a results-oriented business, but I'm very impressed by him. I mean, he uh, outside of the fact that I'm, I think that Kyle Shanahan, the play, he, I think he's a genius as a play caller and a play sequencer and a and a and a game. You know, basically, he's very strong calling the game. I think his personnel evaluation is still, you know, still fair to, you know, to hold off, um, you know, hold off calling him a, uh, you know, a, a strong evaluator. I mean, this is a guy who liked Joe Williams. Um, Joe Williams didn't make it out of camp and didn't look good in camp. Um, this is a guy who really liked Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor is a borderline NFL athlete and he has a really difficult time gaining any kind of significant separation because because of his athletic limitations. You know, he, he, he was all in on Hoyer. Hoyer, to this point, has not looked all that great, <laughs> to be uh, to be put it mildly. So, you know, there are very few people that are blessed with every skill set. You know, I, hey, I'm a great play caller, and, man, I'm a great game planner. And, by the way, I also have this incredible eye for talent. That may be his weakness, that he only has a marginal eye for talent, and his strength is in his ability as a play caller. So, you know, that's what I've seen thus far. I can't, I mean, I like some of the offensive picks that they had, but I haven't seen them really, really where you could say, is there one offensive player that they have brought into the mix so far that you can say, yep, really hit on that guy? There's some nice players. Breed is kind of nice. Kittle's kind of nice. Uh, you know, they, they, Aldrich Robinson, yeah, not, not a bad ad, you know. But I, I you know, uh, Bethard was impressive in the preseason. But they, they haven't added any weapon or offensive player yet that I really think is like, yeah, whew, this, that was a terrific evaluation. So. Maybe as an evaluator, it's you know still a work in progress. And we still believe in where the 49ers are headed. And this is kind of an ideal scenario if you look at it from, from a 30,000-foot view where they're still making progress every week, especially on the defensive side, but they're still on track for that number one pick or a top three pick. And looking at what, you know, you look at the flip side of the coin of what Alex Smith has done and when, what the 49ers gave up when they, when they got rid of him, it has to sting a little, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> you know, it's I, somebody asked me uh, on draft. I was in the Niner War Room the day they picked um, Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers, and I remember putting my head on the table 
and just shaking my head going, I cannot believe <laughs> they passed on Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and just cause I had, I had seen Aaron Rodgers earlier in that season complete like 16 in a row and like 23 of 24 against an incredibly talented USC team on a hundred degree day in the Coliseum. And I just thought, how do you pass on that? You know, how do you pass on, on that? I mean, I, there's times where you just got to turn off the projector and go walk down the hall and have a smoke or something, you know, so they really should have just, they really blew that evaluation, you know, and McLuhan, because it was him and, and, you know, Nolan had a hand in that and McCarthy had a hand in that. But a buddy of mine asked me at the time, you know, what's your evaluation of, of Rogers and Smith? And I said, Rogers, in my opinion, is going to be a franchise quarterback. I love him. I think he's a winner. I think he's got mechanical issues. They'll work it out. Uh, he's, he's just got tremendous confidence. He's very accurate. He's very athletic. He's got that it factor. And then with Smith, I said, you know, he's a great prospect. 6'4", 218, graduated in two years with an econ degree, exceptionally smart, mentally mature. But he's just, you can just tell there's going to be this huge transition because of the gimmicky offense that he played in at Utah and what he's going to be asked to do in the pros. And yet, I think this kid is such a hard worker and so conscientious. If I had to predict, I think he may win a Super Bowl someday but it won't be until he's an old, grizzled veteran. And I told this guy that, and we laugh about it now because he said, man, you had that, pe- you had that peg. And I really believe Alex Smith may get it done, and this may be the year. You know, he just con- he's one of those guys, he continues to get better every single year. He continues to get more and more efficient. And now he's had continuity. He's surrounded by great weapons. If you watched him last night in the Monday night game, he's just throwing nothing but total strikes. And he has just total command. And he's so bright that there's nothing. He's seen all the coverages and all the wrinkles that you could potentially throw at him. And he's so different than the guy who stood under center as a rookie with the 49ers who was just totally overwhelmed by everything. Now he's totally unflappable. And he still, you know, he still, is, he still has some athleticism. He hasn't physically been beaten up. And I think he's going to get his ring. I really do. I think it could be this year. Um, and if it's and, and the interesting thing here is the dynamic. Kansas City traded next year's number one and this year's one to move up to get Patrick Mahomes. And they they're they're green, they're red, you know redshirting him this year for the most part. But I mean, when you invest two number ones in an athletic young quarterback, and he played the way he did in the preseason, they. Their expectation is he's going to be on the field next year. And I think unless Alex wins the Super Bowl or at the very least goes to the Super Bowl, uh, I, I think they're going to switch gears and go to, go to Mahomes. And if that's the case, heck yeah, if I'm the 49ers, I think Alex Smith would be the perfect quarterback. Let's say you have C.J. Beathard and you have Alex Smith and you have – and this is if Cousins decides he wants to stay in D.C. or whatever – um, or if you just decide you want to go into the draft, but you go into the draft, maybe you land a Luke Falk and you got Alex Smith next year and you get Luke Falk and CJ Beathard kind of battling it out. And maybe, maybe, you know, Smith fulfills his potential in a 49er uniform at the very end, you know, it comes all the way full circle. I, I think it'd be a great story. And the guy's a hell of a guy. He doesn't, he still doesn't, he takes good care of the football. He doesn't challenge down the field very much, but man, he, I really think he's going to be able to get it done this year, even despite those weaknesses, because he's got Tyreek Hill, 
He's got Kareem Hunt. He's got Travis Kelsey. He's got a tremendous offensive line. He's got a tremendous defensive front seven, probably the best corner in the game. Um, they, they, there's a lot of weapons there, and they got a terrific coaching staff. Um, you know, continuity. I, I, I think this might be his year. Yeah, he's he's playing definitely playing at MVP level. So, Larry, the last question that we have for you tonight is: When are the 49ers going to get their first win? When is this going to happen? There were three games that they were either leading or in it to the end, and they lost all three of them. Is it this week against Indy? They're hoping. They're hoping it is. But I'll say this: I mean, I believe this is the day they're going to retire. Peyton Manning's jersey. It's going to be a big deal. They scheduled the 49ers because they're looking for a win. Um, I did read that Andrew Luck practiced this week, but they're probably going to go with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, the 49ers have a shot to win this game for sure, but they're going to have to play well and they're going to have to be able to, you know, defend T.Y. Hilton. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's hot right now. He's playing. He's playing pretty solid football. They got some nice tight ends there. They don't have much of a quarterback without Luck. Brissett will run around a little bit. But, you know, it's still a, a tough place to play. Um, you know, I, I, I think the 49ers definitely have a shot. They have a shot to win this week. Um, and after that, if they don't win this week, you know, I mean, they play the Giants later in the year. Giants are kind of a mess. They play the Bears later in the year. Um, Jacksonville, I mean, I believe, don't they get the Jags later in the, in the calendar? So there's, there's yep. a few winnable games out there, but... Um, but I'll tell you, now that the Rams look, don't look, you know, very impressive, it makes the division all that much more difficult because I think the 49ers, the idea that the 49ers can win five or six games was predicated on, hey, they'll beat the Rams. Well, mm-hmm. the Rams now look like one of the most improved teams in the conference. So that, that, you know, that plan is it's no longer a good plan. So we'll, we'll see. This is definitely a winnable game. But um, I think the 49ers are going to have to get a lead, and I don't know that they've shown enough offensive potential or firepower to get a lead. So they may have to lean on their defense or special teams to get them a lead. Awesome, awesome stuff, Larry. Uh, Larry. And um, why don't you tell the fans where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, at SportsLarryCambiar. Uh, you can call, follow me I'm on Facebook as well. Um, occasionally I'll periscope some stuff, but, uh, yeah, pretty much. And then of course you can hear the show Monday through Friday with myself and Gary from, uh, from 10 AM to 1 PM. Uh, I do Stanford pregame for all the home games. So if you're down on the farm, stop by, I'm on campus at the Pac-12 Plaza before all the home games for a couple hours talking college football, which is one of my first loves. And then, uh, and then of course, Niner football, Niner football, we have, Pre-game starts this week. We move from KGO to KMBR, and pre-game for the 10 a.m. kickoff will be 7 a.m. Sunday morning. So tune in uh, to KMBR early Sunday morning for your, your Niner pre-game. Excellent. And I can say firsthand that you guys get me through my morning commute. I mean, I commute out from the East Bay to the, the peninsula, so it's, it's, a, it's a long haul, but you guys are with me every step, every step of the way there. So uh, if you guys, the, the fans, you know, you got to, you got to check it out. Cambio.com, 10 a.m. The Gary and Larry show, um, came 680 a.m. on your radio dial. Larry, thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure again. And, uh, thank you so much for your time. We got to do this again. Hey, anytime you guys want to talk Niner football, I'm here. Awesome. Thank you, Larry. Take care. Have a good one, guys. And thank you again to Larry Kruger for joining us for a second time. He's, he's on that wall of fame now. Actually, we're, we're getting, 
we're, we have enough longevity. We have a wall of fame, right, Al? <laughs> We're, <laughs> we're getting there. I hope so. Larry's great. Larry's always such a great interview. He's a great guy to have on. He brings energy. He just has these long, great detailed answers. He's so much fun to have on the show. And I'm always excited when I hear that he's going to be our guest. But yeah, definitely up there on the wall of fame with uh, Matt Barrows and, and Taylor Price, who actually, well, he was a guest and a guest host. I guess technically that that's twice on the show. So he he's up there too. So we got three of them on the wall of fame and hopefully many more to add on as we're hopefully around for a long time, but hopefully people are going to want to still continue to want to listen. If this team is one in seven or one in eight or however they're going to be. And, you know, they're close saying they are, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating and, and they can easily be three and one right now. Not only can they easily be three and one, they probably should be three and one right now. At worst, two and two when they're not. They're one and three. Things seem bleak right now. They haven't scored a touchdown in three of the four games. And I know, look, it's not just Brian Hoyer. I understand the interior of their offensive line is bad. We mentioned the receivers when we were talking with Larry. And there's not a lot of, other than Garcon, you know, a lot of proven commodities there. And there's been the drop passes. And they're the one game where the offense actually did play well. The defense didn't. But the biggest issue here is Brian Hoyer to me. He doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't, for somebody who is supposed to be familiar with the offense, he certainly doesn't look like it. And again, I know the drops have been there, but he's been largely inaccurate. And I, I just wrote an article and I, about it for 49erswebzone.com. And I mentioned earlier when we started off, what, what's the point? If he's not part of the future and he isn't, what's the point to stay with him much longer? What are you, you going to play him for 11 or 12 games so you can go 1 and, t- one and 11, 2 and 10? And then, then put Bethard in for a few games. To me, if unless Bethard is, is is not ready, unless Bethard is, you're throwing him to the wolves, and and he's you know he's it's not going to be good for him to get in there, and, and he's going to lose confidence and all that sort of thing. Put him in. What do you have to lose? You have to see what you have in him. And I'll give you the example of Jared Goff. Goff played last year, and everybody's like, oh, he's terrible. And look, he comes in this year, and he's he's playing well. And part of the reason for that was because he took his lumps in year one. And I don't know that Bethard's going to be the future. He may or may not be. But you at least need to see what you have in a season that already looks lost. Yeah, and, and Larry mentioned it as well, that he thinks that the C.J. Bethard era is coming sooner rather than later. Probably, I, I'd estimate if, if Hoyer puts up another couple stinkers, you'll see C.J. Bethard after the bye week. There are five of the last eight games at home. I think that's kind of a comfortable place to start a rookie quarterback. But it looks like they they miscalculated on Brian Hoyer. They thought that he would be a guy that could be a steadying influence because he knows the system. And we just heard in in the interview with Larry, he said that it's it's a complicated system to to learn, and it's a complicated system to follow. So they needed a guy that could be able to be the caretaker of that while they built the rest of their offense. But I really feel like at this point, Brian Hoyer is kind of stagnating the growth of the rest of the offense and and to some part, the team as well. I don't want to put everything on him. It's not all his fault. The injuries, the bad offensive line play at times, the penalties, those things aren't his fault. The drop passes, those things aren't his fault. But when the team is counting on him to make a throw or a good decision or uh, in, in the last game, Trent Taylor was wide open on an, on an out route to the pylon, the front pylon um, on the last drive of the game that the 49ers had the ball. I think it was like second down, I believe. And they were, they were right at the 10 yard line and Hoyer totally missed him. He checked down to Carlos Hyde instead. So things like that, they're really, they're really hurting the team. And when you have so many rookies and so many guys that haven't played together, you need to be able to have a quarterback that gets them the ball because they're like the receivers and the tight ends and, and running backs are only going to get better 
with the ball in their hands. And if you don't have a guy that can get them the ball, then like you said, what's the point? Out of quarterbacks with at least 100 attempts, Hoyer's completion percentage is right near the bottom of the league. It's 58.1. And only Blake Bortles and Deshaun Kaiser have a worse completion percentage than he does. And even if you account for the... It is bad. And even if you account for the drop passes, his adjusted completion rate, this is uh, per pro football focus, would be 68.5. It's still 28th overall in the league. So even if you put those drops, like he completed those passes, he's still 28th in the league in adjusted completion percentage because, listen, other quarterbacks have drop passes on them too. The one thing he's excelled at has been play action. He's 26 of 39 uh, for 313 yards when he uses play action. And it's both of his touchdown throws on that. The issue is he's been awful without play action. He's 60 for 109. It's 55% completion rate with three interceptions. Um, a good example of this is you get the discrepancy in week four where Hoyer was nine of 14 on play action and 15 of 35 without it. Um, he's near the last, he is last in the league in touchdown passes with two. Um, and he's the second worst quarterback rating at 67.9. And you look at, they haven't been able to sustain drives because they can't pass the ball. They're 28th in time per drive at 223, which is 223, two minutes, 23 seconds, I should say, per drive, which is very Chip Kelly-ish. Um, and they've only converted 18 third downs um, and 60 tries, which is 30%, and that's third from the bottom of the league. And you look at that, and then you look at this defense. This defense has had to play over 34 minutes in three games because mm-hmm. the offense can't stay on the field. And they had the the one bad game against the Rams. And, and listen, the Rams' offense has been terrific, but the Niners' defense was clearly gassed in that game, and they played like it because you wanted to see how they were going to rebound in week four, and they came out, and they, they played really well. But again, they had almost what you would call it, you know, a dominating effort. You know, to me, you only give up 12 points in the game. That's, that's a pretty solid effort. And they couldn't win the game. So now you have two games where this defense has played lights out and given up under 15 points in regulation, 12 points in each of the regulation games. And they didn't win either game. They lose to Seattle 12 to 9, and they end up losing to the Cardinals 18 to 12. And you got to win games like that. And this defense is going in the right direction. And that's the one bright spot so far to me, anyway. Yeah, and, and I agree. They've got a lot of young, talented, exciting players on defense. They've got a really, really talented defensive front seven. And, and there's some guys there that they can change up. Like Navarro Bowman's kind of lost a step. And Ray Ray Armstrong's not a starter. He's, a, he's a, more of a, a backup or fill-in type of player. But once Ruben Foster gets in there, once Solomon Thomas can, can kind of be a more seasoned player, I think you're going to see this team really peak on, on the defensive side, at least. And it's, it's kind of nice because... Ideally, the 49ers could could either draft a quarterback next year early or have some sort of high draft pick to add a playmaker and still have some sort of progress this season. So right now they're they're kind of on that that whole uh that whole arc of the season where they're losing games, but they're also making progress. So I think that's kind of an ideal scenario from from a rebuild standpoint, because the last thing you want to do is make marginal progress and then be eight and eight and have a you know a middle of the road draft pick where you can't really draft a playmaker or draft a guy that can contribute right right so I'm, I'm excited that the defense is is showing what they're showing they're in games because of the defense even the carolina game it, it the scoreboards was struggling and they and they turned the ball over but the 49ers defense held them to under i believe it was under 315 yards in the first game and i, I can't remember the last time they, they did that back to back they did in seattle as well so um i think they're close on defense. I, I, I think that they just need a little bit more depth. But Al, the, the corner the corner play has to improve. Rashad Robinson is struggling big time. 
he is, and like I said, and when we were talking to Larry, I, we knew there were going to be ups and downs. But a lot was a lot of pressure was placed on him this year. He was supposed to be the number one corner. Was supposed to make strides, and it's been more downs than ups. And I think you have to be concerned at this point. And maybe too much was expected of him this year. At least it certainly looks that way. And this is a developmental situation for him, and he can still get better. And I believe at this point, you know, a lot of people have tweeted at me and said, "Al, why don't they bench him?" Again, what's the point? If if you the Niners are lucky if they win through three or four games this year, I mean, that's going to be a good year at this point, the way it looks mm-hmm. with the way their schedule is shaping out. So just play these guys, see what you have. Keep Robinson in there the whole year. See, see if he gets better. Maybe if he takes his lumps this season, next season he comes out when the Niners are more competitive and he plays well at this point, you can't look at wins and losses. Just have to look at the development of the guys that you have. Um, I, I kind of agreed with what Larry said with, with the Williams extension where uh, I was kind of curious at first I said, Oh, all right. You know, that's, that's a good contract. And then I looked at it and I'm like, is it really a good, he played three games and he, it's not like he, he looked great in those three games. He looked okay to me. So maybe they, they, they did just do it because they liked what he brought to the locker room. Um, they liked what he did to the culture, but it was kind of a strange extension to me, especially considering when they did it. But yeah, cornerback is going to be a position that they really need to look at in the off season. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you where there's this is going to be a it's going to be a double digit loss season obviously but this may be like a one or two win season if they need if they want to go I was saying six and ten and that's not going to happen now even if they were to go five and eleven they would have to go five and seven the rest of the way and I just don't see five wins on their it's schedule be tough. So, yeah I agree yeah yeah so they're gonna they're really gonna have to give some of these guys time to develop. And this is literally just a developmental year. And as long as they make progress, as long as the arrow's pointing up, that's all I care about. I don't care about the wins and losses this year. I care about seeing progress from the team. So especially, especially the corners, elite defense has at least one elite corner. So whether that corner is on the, the roster right now, or whether he's going to be drafted next year or free agent, I, I, they, they absolutely need to, to improve the corner play because the defensive line is they're getting there. They're getting pressure. They had six sacks on Carson Palmer this uh, on, on, on Sunday. And they had uh, a bunch of a handful of sacks on Russell Wilson in week two. Didn't really get to Jared Goff too much, but they're, they're, they're close. There's, there's a lot of raw talent there. So each unit helps each other. And if the corner, if the corners are able to stay on their men longer, you can see the defensive line racking up what we call those coverage sacks where the quarterback just holding it for four or five seconds and can't find anybody open. So I think that it's it's a you scratch my back, I scratch yours sort of situation where each each unit feeds off of each other. But but man, the, the corners are, are really struggling. We saw that in the preseason too, and that's something that you and I talked about in our podcast back then was the the corner play. We were hoping that the defensive line would get enough pressure, but even if they're getting pressure, they the, the, you see you see Jared Goff was kind of just picking guys apart on the sideline because he's throwing the ball up for grabs, and his guys were getting it so. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that they improve. I had high hopes for Rashad Robinson, and I really still do. But I, I think that it's time to if it's if these guys can't get the job done, you know, throw an Adrian Colbert in there, move Ward back to corner, and and let let Lorenzo Jerome start at free safety. So I, I think it's going to be time to, for them to shuffle up that lineup. Yeah, just see what you got. That's that's what the rest of the season's about here. But you, you know, you mentioned the good play of the defensive line, and that actually brings me to my game ball for the week and. You know, when we do these game balls, you know, I, we could give it to DeForest Buckner every week the way it's going, but we want to do it more, not necessarily the best player in the game, but just a player that maybe made a big impact or stood out or, or took a step forward. And I want to give Solomon Thomas. 
because I thought he played a really solid game. He had his first sack. And, and again, with these rookie defensive linemen, it takes time. You look at Buckner last year. Buckner struggled at the beginning of last season. He was playing with his pad level high. He was getting moved off the ball in the running game. And, you know, again, he takes his lumps in his rookie year, and he got better as the year went on. And this season, he's an all-pro. He, he's been fantastic. He's been one of the best defensive players in the league this year. So I want to give my game ball to Solomon Thomas because I thought it was a good step forward for him. I thought it was a good game and hopefully a game that he can build on moving forward. Yeah, and he looked he looked like more like the guy that people were hoping he'd be when they when the 49ers drafted him. I think that he may be a little bit slower developing than DeForest Buckner cuz they they look like they're going to move Solomon Thomas to the Leo position and he seems like he's more comfortable out there. He seems like he's able to eat up blocks and and get to the quarterback a little bit more out there. So he's nominated for the NF, NFL rookie of the week or NFC rookie of the week. So I think that's that's little baby steps in a positive direction. And I, I think that people are kind of starting to see, including myself, like I'm kind of starting to see what they saw in Solomon Thomas when they drafted him. He's He had a couple of tackles for loss. He was in the backfield. He's got a lot of speed. He has elite speed on the, on the get off from the line. So that coupled with his just raw strength, I, I think that that's what made him an attractive prospect. So I'm starting to warm on that pick more the more I see him play. And it's only four games in. So he has a whole career's worth to, to improve and get better. And I think it's unrealistic to expect the same, the same sort of development arc that DeForest Buckner had. Cause in my opinion, I thought that Buckner was, was a better college player and, and more complete player coming into the league. But nonetheless, Solomon Thomas has, has definitely improved since the beginning of the season. I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. Now I know that, you said that DeForest Buckner wouldn't get a game ball every week. I'm going to say that for at least one more week, <laughs> he's going to get a game ball because it's just, he's just playing so well right now. He's, I believe pro football focus put out his rating. He's rated the top defensive tackle in the league right now, the top interior lineman in the league right now. So he's just playing lights out and he's taking on double teams. He's pushing guards and centers into the quarterback's lap and he's hitting the quarterback. Like the, the guy is, is everything that I had thought and hoped he would be when, when the 49ers drafted him, I thought that he was actually a better prospect than Eric Armstead was. And, and 49ers haven't got much out of Armstead, but DeForest Buckner is just, just wrecking offenses right now. And I think that he's a big reason why this defense is doing so well, because when you've got that push up the middle and a guy in the quarterback's face before he's ready to throw, that throws off the timing of everything. So Defoe, he's going to get my game ball this week. Now, do you think the Niners are going to beat the Colts this week? What's your, what's your official prediction? Man, you know, they, for the last two weeks, they've been proving, they've been proving me wrong. And they've been, they've been in both of those games. They've been really close. And I think this is the week. I'm going to, I'm going to go again. And, and if they don't win this week, then they're not going to win for a while. So I'm going to say that they're going to win. I'm going to say that it'll be a close game. It'll be nice to see Frank Gore. Um, but I think the Niners will win. It'll probably be less than a, a, a one-score game, probably a 21-17 type of game. What about you? I agree with you. I, I don't know why, but I, I feel like they're going to pull it out this week. They've been close. They deserve better fortune. The Colts aren't very good without Andrew Luck, so I think they'll pull it out. After that, could get a little ugly because you're at Washington, you have Dallas at home, you're at Philly before the bye. If they don't, like I said, if they don't get a win here, you could be looking at 0-8 going into the bye. And then after that, I, I feel like it's going to be C.J. Beathard time um, after the bye for sure. So this, to me, is going to be the week where the Niners finally 
get that win. I don't know how many of them there will be after this. Um, like you said, I, I, I don't even think five and 11 is realistic anymore. Mm-hmm. I hope, hope maybe three, three, four wins. Um, let's just see what these young players have. And, and that's the best thing I can advice I can give to a 49ers fan right now, going to these games, try to, and I hate to even say it to not root for your team to win, but I maybe just say, don't care if they win, just kind of pull for these players, the young guys, Ruben Foster, when gets back on the field, Solomon Thomas, Richard Robinson, Trent Taylor, George Kittle, these young guys just to take the next step and just look better and better as the season goes on. I think that's all we can hope for at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, the patience is the key word. And we know that this is a rebuild process and the, the losses are going to pile up and we're going to know that they're going to have probably a one or two se- win season. And, and we're going to really see what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are made of because you, in, it's in the downtimes that you kind of see what players and, and coaches and GMs are made of. And Carlos Hyde mentioned this week that the, the morale is still pretty, pretty high and, and they're still pretty hungry because they know they're close. It helps. Honestly, like you can't put lipstick on a pig, but when the team is losing by only three to four points a game or less than one touchdown a game, they know they're close. They can see that one or two plays can change the, can change the course of that game. So I think as long as the team feels that, that's really what matters because that's when you'll, you'll see that rapid progression. If they start to give up on themselves and they start to, to kind of sulk in those things, their progression will stagnate. But I think that, that a win this week would definitely help the cause. But the wins will be few and far between for the rest of the way. Maybe, maybe the Jaguars, maybe, you know, they'll, they'll have a, a couple of surprise wins at the end of the season that we may not, we may not see, but I mean, they're fully in, I, I think they're fully in on the, on the Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen sweepstakes. Sam Darnold may stay and Josh Allen may stay, but Josh Rosen and Luke Falk and, and obviously your favorite Kirk cousins and, yep. and Al, you know, yep. Larry was talking about, he, he mentioned Alex, we, we asked him the question about Alex Smith and he mentioned like the possibility of an Alex Smith reunion. And it's interesting that he mentioned that because while we were off air before the show, I was talking to, I was talking to you about this and the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. The 49ers can, that we know that Alex Smith is pretty much done after this year in Kansas city. Their, their future is Patrick Mahomes. They invested way too much in him to sit him on the bench. So Alex Smith is going to be looking for a home next year. He's going to be looking for a team. So to me, it makes total sense where the 49ers, come on, if they had a decent quarterback, they would be three and one right now, most likely. So to me, it makes sense to grab Alex Smith. You can probably get him for cheap. The 49ers have trade assets that they can give seven picks in the first four rounds. And they've got the cap room as well. He's going to be cheaper than Kirk Cousins. He's a guy that doesn't make mistakes. And on top of that, you don't have to burn a first round pick to get him because Kirk Cousins may get franchised again, right? So you don't have to burn a first round pick to get Alex Smith. So what you can do is you can sign or trade for Alex Smith for two years, draft your rookie this year, have him sit the bench, learn a little bit, and then maybe next year platoon him and Alex Smith. So just floating that out there, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot can happen between now and then. If, if things keep going the way they're going, I think Alex Smith is the MVP of the first quarter of the season. So listen, if Alex Smith is in the MVP conversation and the Chiefs actually win the Super Bowl, which can happen, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think Mahomes is sitting for at least another year. Um, you know, I don't think there's any way that if you're the Chiefs, you can get rid of him after they have a season like that. Even if they make the Super Bowl, I'm not, I'm not sure you can get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So you have to wait and see. I, I prefer at this point, I, I, I'd prefer them to, if there's a Cousins or an Alex Smith out there, I'd prefer them to go that route. But again, a lot can happen between now and then. You have to kind of see how it goes. but. So many holes on this team, and I got a feeling um, 
we're going to be talking about next year a lot <laughs> pretty soon. Yeah. So, because <laughs> um, this this year is looking like it's it's slowly but surely um, kind of going down the drain. But mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Hopefully, this week, um, we'll at least you know we can get a win and at least have some positive vibes for for the first time in a while here and and see how it goes. So. But until then, thank you everyone again for listening. And thanks, Larry Kruger, for his time. Always fun to talk to Larry. And thanks, Zane. Thanks for being a great co host, Zane. <laughs> thanks thanks for bringing it. Thanks for bringing it every week, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. I was, I was, I took a couple of weeks off just to get, get in my, get in my zone, you know, find You're my back. So. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> yeah, Bring it's in good the heat. Back. Back. It's good to be back. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Bye.